may be seated. Amen. Church, I got to tell you, the, the, I, I hear it a lot every week that I'm up here um, helping lead in worship. But man, last Sunday and this Sunday, man, y'all were singing. And praise God for that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible just to be able to just hear it all come back and just the proclaiming of, of the name of Christ together. And I just, I thank you. Thank you for singing and praising God along with us. Um, for those of you that might be joining us for the first time, uh, I mentioned earlier to you that you're coming in right at the tail end of our sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, so I would encourage you, uh, if you uh, have the opportunity to with some time, go back on our church app or go back on the website and listen or on the, the Facebook live stream and check out the uh, different sermons that Pastor Troy and I have had the opportunity to preach through this book. Have you enjoyed going through Nehemiah? Amen. Amen. So it's been, it's been a great time uh, of just going through a book and just hearing what God has to say to us through it. Um, it's, been, it's been great to teach along Pastor Troy with this. It's been great to, um, it's, it's, it's made me have to study deeper and look through things and, and just see how God is laying things out all throughout a book. And so I'm thankful for that opportunity that I've had. Um, today, I mentioned to you a few moments ago that the, the title of this sermon today is Repentance and Correction, the Prescription We Need. Repentance and correction, the, the prescription we need. And we're going to see how Nehemiah, in this concluding chapter, how he had to handle some things that were necessary because, for those of you that might recall, back in chapter 10 of Nehemiah, after the people had already repented to God of their sin, they made a covenant with God. They, they covenanted with God and said, we are going to do these things. And in the chapter since, since chapter 10, leading up to 13, it hasn't necessarily gone the way that they had told God they were going to do. And so Nehemiah comes back on the scene after he's had to take some time away. He comes back, he sees some issues, and he addresses them. And so uh, if you've never had the opportunity to read through the book of Nehemiah or Ezra, because they, they line up pretty similar to each other, if you've never had the opportunity to read those, the first six chapters of the book of Nehemiah is all about rebuilding the wall. Now, if you've never heard of Nehemiah, uh, and you walk into a church, you ask somebody, one of the first things they're probably going to tell you when it comes to the book of Nehemiah or Nehemiah the person is the rebuilding of the wall. I mean, that's, that's a big chunk of this book that we read through was all the opposition that he faced in following God to go back to Jerusalem and reestablish things and, and rebuild this wall. And that is important. And then in chapter 7 through 13, we've seen where there's been a rebuilding of the people. We remember that Ezra, in chapter 8, he comes in and he proclaims the word of God. And then the people repent in 9, they make the covenant in 10, and we make our way up to 13 where we are today. And so it's this rebuilding, if you will, of the people in the second half of the book. But I think what we're going to also see, and I'll mention this at the end of this sermon, is that Nehemiah, although the wall is very important, we've titled the sermon series God's Servant. The book of Nehemiah, God's Servant. Because Nehemiah did not stand up and say, no, God, I can't do that. Nehemiah heard way back in chapter 1 what had happened to his beloved people. He heard what had happened to Jerusalem. And he, he, what, do you all remember what he did in that moment when he heard? He sat there and he wept. And he cried out to God. And we're going to see today examples where he cries out to God even in this. But in that crying out to God, he followed God to go back to get things rebuilt, to get things back to where they are. And what we're going to see at the tail end of today is that although we can remember Nehemiah for the rebuilding of the wall, although we can remember Nehemiah for being God's servant, one of the things that he makes the priority function of everything is the worship of God. 
And that should be our heart's cry. If we are in Christ and we know him as Lord and Savior, as a member of a body of this church or any church, if you're just visiting with us today, wherever you may be that you proclaim Christ and, and fellowship with other believers, we are called to make God's worship priority in our lives. We're going to have many priorities in, my li- in our lives. I know in mine, I've got, I've got to, pri- pri- the most primary thing in my life is to worship God. And then it's to minister to Miranda and my kids and my job and my church family and so on and so forth. There are many priorities I have in my life, but my utmost priority should be to glorify God with my life and to worship him. And so we're going to see at the end of this chapter today how that all comes full circle back to the worship of God. And so if you will, to honor the reading of God's word, let's stand for a moment as we read through chapter 13. It's not too long, so let's read through it together. And the word of the Lord says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Elishib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where he had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priest. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked to leave of the king, and came to Jerusalem, and then I discovered the evil that Elishim had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the course of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders that they cleansed the chambers and brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense." I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed the treasures over the storehouses, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pedadiah the Levites, and their assistant Hanan, the son of Zakor, son of Matani, and they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out the good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and excuse me, and bringing heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark in the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gate that no loads may be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Verse 21. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? 
If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come to the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites, and they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days I, I also I saw the Jews who married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And the half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. It gets a little rough here. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to the sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God and made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made evil him, even him to sin. Verse 27. Then... And shall we then listen to you and do all the great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehodiah, the son of Elishib, the high priest, was son-in-law of Sambal at the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the, the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the time of worship that we've had here in this place. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to lift high the name of Christ, singing together corporately. Father, now as we move into this time of worship, Lord, as we're looking at your word, I pray, God, that you would just use me. God, that you would speak boldly through me. Lord, that this would be nothing of myself, Lord, that this would be all of you. And Lord, that you would make the distractions fade away right now, God. The things maybe on our minds, Lord, to thinking about what to do next or having to go back to work this week, whatever it is, God, things that are distracting us, let those things fade away. And let us hear solely from you here this morning. Be glorified, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. With this chapter, as we're concluding this this sermon series today. We need to understand that Nehemiah's call for correction and repentance is an example to all that we need to continually examine our hearts for areas that need repentance and correction from sin. And so when I was going through this, I was thinking about that, that myself. And one of the things that really kind of stood out to me, if you're taking notes, there's kind of three big main points, and then one of the points are some sub-points that we're going to look at just for a few moments. But the first is this. The Word of God points out our sin. The Word of God points out our sin. We see in verses 1 through 3 that it tells us that, that on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. So people were gathered, like we're gathered right now, and the Word was being read. The, the Word of God from Moses, the things that he wrote. And, and what this is coming from is Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 5, which says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way. When you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, and Bethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. So we see this. We understand that the word of God is pointing out the fact that there is some sin in the camp. 
there is some sin going on because there is still some intermingling of different people. Now, if you remember back when chapter 10, when we looked at that, we were talking about the fact that, and, and Nehemiah references this again in just a few moments, but we understand the fact that when it was talking about the intermarriage, there were those that were worshiping pagan gods. They were not worshiping Yahweh. They were not Jews who were worshiping the only true God. And so Nehemiah references them back to Deuteronomy and, and says you cannot intermarry. And so we'll see that in a few moments. But there again, there are people of foreign that are coming in that should not be in there in that regard. Now we do know that these Amorites and Moabites, they had historically had some issues against Israel. And, and because of that, their infectious idolatry was against God. And, it, and this is not going to be on the screen because this would be too much to read. But if you want to just jot down in your notes, Numbers chapter 23 through 25 you can go there and read through that. And you can see that history that is, that is laid out there for us. And see how all of this was happening and how it was sinning against God. And that is why there could not be the foreigners intermingling in that regard. If they were going to come in and they were going to worship their foreign gods, that wasn't going to happen. That should not happen. Now, if they were going to come in and they were going to come in and say, Hey, I'm from another area. I'm not from here. But I come and I recognize Yahweh as God then that's different. They can come into that gathering. They could come to worship. Now, a lot of these measures that are established, if you go and read through the book of Ezra, because I told you a few moments ago, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're simultaneous, they're right together. It's almost parallel. It's just a few years earlier for Ezra that it was written before Nehemiah. But if you go and read in there, you can see in Ezra chapter 9 through 10, there are all these issues of intermarriage and foreigners coming in. Now, this... As I was saying just a second ago, the, the removal of the foreign people, it wasn't just because of, uh, of issues of they didn't look like us, didn't sound like us, whatever it is. It's just the fact that they were not worshiping Yahweh. Now, we know from other places in Scripture, for those of you that were here leading up to Easter, when we went through the book of Ruth, we know that Ruth was what? She was a Moabite. And yet she was able to be brought into the fold because of the redeeming work of Boaz coming in as her redeemer. Ruth chapter 1, 16 through 17 says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Here's the most important. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. So it, they, it wasn't just that, hey, they're not like us, so we can't let them in. No, it was they have to come in. They can be from a foreign place, but they have to worship Yahweh. They have to worship our God. And so as the word is being proclaimed publicly, there are things that are being drawn out that say, hey, we have got to follow this. This is the word of God. This is what's being proclaimed, so we must obey it. We must follow it. And so that's why I brought to the point, the word of God points out our sin. You don't have to answer this. It's a rhetorical question, but think about this. Especially if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have there been times as you're reading through the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit you feel conviction? I know I have. It's because the Word of God, as I'm reading it, it is God speaking to me through His Word that was penned, divinely inspired by those that wrote it. And so it's God's Word that is speaking to my heart. And therefore, because of that... There is going to be conviction if I am in sin. And it brings about the point that I need to be 
repentant of it. I have to come forward and say, God, I repent of my sin because of my fellowship with you. The second thing, repentance and correction are necessary against sin. Repentance and correction are necessary against sin. We're going to see here that Nehemiah comes across several areas of sin in this chapter, and he confronts and rebukes them. If you have notes there, you'll see in there the first little subpoint is that Nehemiah cleanses the temple. Look again at verse 4. Now before this, Elishib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they previously put the grain, offering and frankincense, the vessels, and the tides of grain, wine and oil, where they were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. We know that Tobiah is an Ammonite. We know that he is a foreigner. And we also know that there's a little bit of an issue here. Because when you see where it says Elishib the priest, he says that he's what? A relative of Tobiah. Because he is a foreigner and they're relatives, Elishib is a priest, which means he's in line with Yahweh. There's an issue there. There's intermarriage that's already happened. So it's another thing that keeps pointing back and forth to this issue of intermarriage. Tobiah is also an enemy of the community. And we know this from where we've been going in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2.10. It says, But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Nehemiah chapter 4, 7 and 8 says, But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to, con- and to cause confusion in it. There's issues. Tobias should not be residing in there, number one, because he is an enemy of the community. He should not be residing in there. Elishib is committing a sin by allowing him to be there. And we also know that because of this, there's going to be some hostility within the place because what, he, what is he doing? He's opening a door and he's saying, come on in. And he's saying, come on in, let the sin just come on in. That's a problem. That's a problem. And Nehemiah addresses it. And you have to also remember, in reference to verse 5, um, this is not on the screen, but if you just jot down Nehemiah chapter 12, 44, it's established that there was a proper place for the tithes and the offerings and such to be in there for the temple. And so what they've done is the tithes and offerings and the things that are important for the worship of God. Remember, worship of God is priority. The place where that stuff was to be stored, to be used, has been moved out of the way and allowed this person to come in and stay in there. What is that saying? That's saying, hey, our worship of you, God, that's not priority. We're just going to push this aside and we're going to allow this person to come in and stay put. That's a problem. It's another problem. Verse 6 tells us, While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked to leave the king. So in this time, you have to remember, way back in chapter 1, Nehemiah was given permission by the king. He was the cupbearer to the king. He was the number one guy that made sure that nothing was going to harm the king. He would drink that before anybody else to make sure that it wasn't poison for him. And so the king, God softens his heart and allows Nehemiah to go. Back to Jerusalem. The king didn't have any loving regard towards Jerusalem. But he allows Nehemiah to go because of the power of God. 
And so Nehemiah, after serving some time, he sees, okay, we've established these things. Everything is rebuilt. Everything is back in place. I'm going to leave for a period of time to go back and serve the king. And so he goes. Now, this is a, a, a pretty solid piece of time that he's gone because he's got to go back to Susa. This is where the king is. And for that to happen, it's at least on sea, in a boat, 55 days of travel for him to get back. It's 1,100 miles. And so for after that taking place, and after he's there for that period of time, he asks the king if he can go back, which takes another at least 55 days. So there's a good period of time, several, several days, that Nehemiah's away, and all of this stuff starts to fall apart while Nehemiah has stepped away. Because sin has come in. And it's causing the worship to not be on God Almighty. So Nehemiah comes back in, in 7. It says, I came to Jerusalem, and then I discovered the evil that Elishib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber, and then I gave orders that they cleansed the chambers and brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Point blank period, Nehemiah gets back. He sees that sin has been done against God. He is very angry because he hates sin, and he doesn't want the worship it to be off of God, so he says, this is wrong, we're correcting it right now. And so he gets it all moved out, he throws everything out, and he keeps it back to what it was supposed to be. In Nehemiah, uh, in verses 10 through 13, I won't read it for the sake of time, but we know that Nehemiah also finds out that this clergy of Levites that that have been serving, they had to leave Jerusalem. They had to go back to their field, as it tells us. They have to go out back to the field. And when that has happened, we know that then the commitments that were made back in chapter 10, they've been forgotten. All these commitments and this covenant that they've made before God, it's all been pushed aside. Said, yeah, we know we said that, but we're, we're not focused on that right now. We want to focus on what we want to do. We want to do our own thing. All while Nehemiah steps away, just for a little period of time, is this, is this right? No. It's wrong. It's sin against God. Verse 11 tells us that he says, I confronted the officials and asked them, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Nehemiah coming back shows just how strong of a leader he is and just how bold he is because he's willing to step up against what is happening and say, this is wrong. We need to correct this now. I think that's a very good applicable point for us. Because when we are faced with things in our life where we see sin, as followers of Jesus, we are called by God to serve Him and live our lives as a living sacrifice. And as we are serving Him and living our lives as a living sacrifice, if we see sin, we must address sin as what it is. Sin is sin. It is evil, it is corrupt, and it will destroy. Verse 14 tells us, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe me out, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. You've got to remember if you're reading through Nehemiah, and if you've been here and you listened, Nehemiah has done these, as as Pastor Troy said, little little prayers that he shot up real quick. You have to remember back in chapter 1-8, 519 and 614, all throughout this book, there's been points all along the journey where Nehemiah has said, thank you to God, or remember me, Lord. And in this moment here, 
It's not as if he's coming before God and saying, hey God, so I, I think you might forget this. But he just wants to say, Lord, I have been faithful to you through all of this. Please remember me. Please remember that I stood up for your name, for your glory. Not so I can get anything in return. But I just want you to remember that I love you and I give you my all. So please remember what I've done for your glory. The second thing that we see in there is that Nehemiah enforces the Sabbath. We see in verses 15 and 16 that the people of Judah, they've broken the Sabbath by trading. Now it tells us in there that Tyrians are in there and they're doing some trading as well. Well folks, Tyrians are not Jews. They don't worship Yahweh. So of course they're going to break the Sabbath because they don't know the Mosaic law. They don't know because they are not under that law because they are not Jews. But those that are Jews that are here in Jerusalem, as Nehemiah steps away, they are sinning against God. They're trading. They're doing these things on the Sabbath. It says to keep the Sabbath holy. They are not doing that. So again, in verse 17, Nehemiah confronts. Nehemiah in verse 17 says, I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? And then 18 he says, Did not your fathers act this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Nehemiah, again, boldly as the leader that he is, he stands up against the sin. He says, what are you doing? Don't you remember what happened in the past? Don't you remember that those that have gone before us, they sinned and and we had to, to suffer through this thing? We've seen what happened to Jerusalem. In Jeremiah 17, 19 through 27, I just want to specifically point out 27. It's the recalling of this. It says, But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and do not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. We know in Jeremiah that God makes it clear. You have to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So Nehemiah then commands them in 19 through 22 to reform and complete and do the the Sabbath day as it is intended to be, to worship God, to set aside that time to bring God glory. He tells the Levites, go in and purify yourselves because you have sinned against Him. And then in 22, Nehemiah shoots up another prayer. Right at the end, it says, Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Again, he tells him, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Now you have to remember back from in chapter 10, I was, when we were talking about this, we talked about the Sabbath day. And we have to remember, because we are saved by God's grace, because of what Christ has done for us at Calvary, we are not necessarily under that Mosaic law like the Jews were in that time period. Now, we still should see the Mosaic Law, and we should still take that and apply it to our lives. But we don't have a specific dead-set Sabbath day like they did. However, as followers of Christ, as Protestants, we gather on Sundays. Because it is the day of what? The resurrection. It is the day that we gather together to lift high the name of Christ corporately. And so many of us, on this day, we might not have to work or something like that. But because of the things that this world has and and requires us to work on these different schedules and stuff, you might not have a specific day on Sunday that you can do that. But like I told you in chapter 10, take that time, though, to set aside to bring God glory on a day where you can bring and come to him in prayer and offer that worship and that glory to him. The third thing that we see in there is that Nehemiah cleanses the people. 
Verse 23 tells us, In those days I also saw that the Jews who had married women of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab, and the half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah by only the language of each people. Nehemiah and Ezra both had this issue, and we can read through it in in both books, but the, the issue again of intermarriage. Though it wasn't necessarily the case as what Ezra was dealing with way back then, we still see that it is an issue. I.e., remember, or a few moments ago, I talked about Tobiah being a relative of who? Elishib. There was intermarriage because of that. So there's this issue continually that they are dealing with. Now, verse 25, when I read it at the beginning of the, of the sermon, it, it, I said, here comes some confrontation. And I confronted them and cursed them, not necessarily cursing like, like you know of today, and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Whoa! He beat them and pulled out some of their hair. Nehemiah was so frustrated by the sin that was happening against God, he took matters into his own hands. Now, I am not going to stand up here in this pulpit and tell you to walk around, Mr. Ed will love this reference, walk around like you're Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and drop some elbow drops off the top on people. But when you see that there is sin, you need to confront the sin. Amen? If there is sin, we need to address it. But Jesus tells us, remember, if somebody comes to you, what? Turn the other cheek. Somebody does something against you. So It is in God's Word, and it is something that's there, but Jesus makes it clear, don't be retaliating and beating up people. But Nehemiah, in this moment, is just so full of rage. I would say good rage, but he's frustrated because of what they've done against God. And he says, I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, and then it references again to the Deuteronomy passage, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. And then, in 26... He references King Solomon. And he said, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even though God did that for him, he still sinned against God. Very important, applicable point here. When I was reading through and studying for this, one of the commentaries that that I use in a series that I enjoy. Uh, it's written by Mervyn uh, Brenneman. And he said this very, very quote, and it says, Complacency in the spiritual life can make one numb to the effects of sin. Complacency in the spiritual life can make one numb to the effects of sin. Let me make that really easy to understand. When sin engulfs us so much, that we are just continually in it over and over and over and over. And we're not focused on glorifying God. We're not focused on opening our Bibles. We're not focused on praying. We're just so trapped by that sin. We don't realize the damage that is happening to us or those that are around us. When someone is engulfed in sin, you can better believe that not only is it destroying them, but it is destroying the people that do life with them all around. I've seen it firsthand. Sin is ugly, and it can destroy people without them even knowing it. But what we can see from this is that we must not sit back. We must see if there is sin. We must confront it. 
to approach a brother or sister, especially if there's someone that is in Christ. Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul's telling them, hey, if you see that a brother is in sin, go to them. Obviously do so in love. Go to them, but be on the watch yourself. Because the enemy could use that as an opportunity for you to be tempted. To kind of summarize things in in 25 through 29, Nehemiah is calling the people back to the Mosaic Law, as I I said about the intermarriage. Elishib is again mentioned there. And then in, in verse 29, Nehemiah cries out to God, but this time he asks God to remember the unfaithfulness of those that have been around doing these things. He says, Lord, remember that they have sinned against you. And the last thing I'll point out, the the very last point, the worship of God is priority, as I said at the beginning. Thus I cleansed them, verse 30, I cleansed them from everything foreign and established the duties of the priest and the Levites each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Nehemiah's gone through and he's made the provisions and everything that needs to be done. He says, remember me, O my God, for good. As I told you at the beginning, we often sometimes remember Nehemiah so much and the book of Nehemiah so much because of the rebuilding of the wall. But as we've seen through this study and this preaching series, there's been a lot of different things that we can take as different themes, if you will. I mean, this is a powerful book on leadership. This is a powerful book on sin and what it can do to people. But it's also a powerful book to point us all back to what Nehemiah has done in this chapter. He has established again, after confronting the sin, he has established the fact that worship of God is the priority. Worship of God is the priority. Godly leadership seeks to glorify God and not man. We know from um, in, in Paul's writings to Timothy, when he's talking in the pastoral epistles. He talks in there and he says, you know, uh, there's one part in there that says where you must rebuke when there's times that rebuke needs to happen. And, and it's written to a pastor, and it's the pastoral epistles that we often refer to it as. But as followers of Christ, if we see sin, we need to see sin as what it is. It's cancer. And it's destructive. And we need to call our brothers and sisters to repentance if that happens. But at the end of the day, what we also need to remember is the fact, and Ben, you can come forward, we have to also remember the fact that there's a major tie in here that we can see point back to Jesus. Because as Nehemiah was so faithful to God, one of the biggest things I've seen through this book study is that Nehemiah was faithful to God and he did everything that God had called him to. And Christ was called to come to this earth to live a life that was sinless because we, who weren't even born yet, the people that were in the past, at that point, the present time when Christ would come, we're about to move into this season of of the incarnation celebrating Christ coming to this earth and being born of the virgin, which would ultimately lead to the cross. We know that this coming of Christ was so that he could do the thing that none of us could do. And that was to live a sinless life and be the sacrificial lamb for us at Calvary. 
And I would encourage you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, now's a good time to talk with somebody about it. I'll be happy to talk with you about it. The band's going to play this song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Let's stand together and let's sing that and proclaim it. And if you do have something you need to talk with about or pray about, please come forward and let me know. I'm going to say a word of prayer and then they can come up. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Nehemiah. Thank you, Lord, for having it in your word so that we can see the things that we need to see about our lives. Lord, maybe areas of sin, areas where we need to repent, Lord, areas where we need to continually make you our primary thing in our lives, Lord, and our worship of you. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that if there's anything that anybody has going on, Lord, and they feel so led to, they need to come forward for prayer or anything like that, Lord, move in this place now and be glorified here, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.